0: Hey, Annie, guess what? What? We just launched a business of biotech newsletter. Yeah? Yeah. I know what you're thinking. What am I thinking? We don't need another newsletter. Yeah, I might have been thinking that. Annie, I swear on my grandpa's grave, you're going to like this newsletter. That's a pretty bold swear, Matt. Uh, Hear me out. It's monthly, only once a month, it's ad free. And it's modeled after the Business of Biotech podcast. It's got the same insight from the builders of biotech that you see in the podcast. So what's not to like? That actually sounds like it doesn't suck. Pretty high praise, Annie. Check it out. Bioprocessonline.com backslash B-O-B. Go there and sign up for this newsletter. You won't regret it. Welcome back to the Business of Biotech J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference Edition. I'm Matt Piller, and I'm in San Francisco, where much of the biopharma world has converged for JPM, including my guest, Dr. Sandy McCray, CEO at Sangamo Therapeutics. Before joining Sangamo, Dr. McCray was Global Medical Officer at Takeda, SVP of Emerging Markets R&D at GSK, Group Director of the Neuroscience and Gastroenterology Therapeutic Unit at SmithKline Beecham. A Wellcome Trust Advanced Training Fellow at Royal Postgraduate Medical School, a Howard Hughes Research Associate at Duke, did his MRC training fellowship for his Ph.D. at King's College, and has held multiple clinical medicine positions over the course of his career. He's been at his current post since 2016, and on today's episode, I'm going to give Dr. McCray a break from his JPM pitch deck to ask him a few questions about him and his work at Sangamo. Dr. McCray, I want to welcome you to the show, and I want to start by asking you to take us back to the formative years of your career for just a minute. You studied medicine and you worked in academic clinical settings early on, but I'm curious about what motivated a career in pharma that ultimately led you to positions at GSK, Takeda, and now Sangamo.
1: I went off and did a PhD on the puffer fish with a guy called Sidney Brenner, which took me into hardcore molecular biology. And then I went to Duke and I did more hardcore molecular biology with Bob Lefkowitz and came back to uh, London to my Wellcome Trust post and um, realised that I needed more purpose, that I didn't want just to do academic science. It needed to be science that had uh, had a meaning to it. And I was becoming an expert in a very obtruse enzyme that wouldn't, Make a difference to anyone. Hmm. And my wife, my wife told me, you need to get a real job. This molecular biology is not going to get you anywhere. And there was a sense that I had walked, like many academics do, I'd walked to the end of a branch and it was hard to get back into standard clinical medicine. And at that point, I was introduced to Smith Klein Beecham. And I remember going there and being just blown away by, um, the purpose, the professionalism, the the sense that people had a direction and, and something they wanted to achieve, and I joined them in nineteen ninety seven. So I've now been twenty five years in this industry, mm-hmm. and I've loved every minute of it. It plays to the things I believe in. It's it's uh, purpose is something I'll keep saying. It's about making medicines to make a difference to people. And I remember the first interview there. Um, The guy said to me, you know, when I'm a doctor, I see one patient at a time, I make a difference to one patient. When I work at Smith-Cline Beecham, I can make a difference to thousands of patients. You know, I ended up looking after Augmentin, an antibiotic that has saved many lives and been taken by probably hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. And that's an enormous responsibility. Yeah. But, and I've made medicines from." for everything from malaria to erectile dysfunction. I really have covered the gamut of it and it's it's a pleasure. It really is a, is a delight when um, you're able to put science, medicine, purpose and, and, and do it with a group of people that are all facing in the same direction and the alignment within companies is the thing that I like the best. It's not academics all pulling in different directions and me, 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 and thinking of it themselves. It's, it's about people that believe in something coming together to make something bigger and
0: better. Yeah. Uh- For a lot of folks who start out in that sort of academic research oriented uh, headspace, right? Uh, The transition to industry and and eventually, in your case, leadership uh, in in industry is a a difficult one, right? I mean, you know, I I don't like to characterize too much. But, you know, when you're sort of heads down in the research lab, uh, there's a personality that thrives there. And there's a whole different sort of skill set or personality sets that Enable leadership of uh, of a biotech. Tell me a little bit about that. What was that transition like for you? Did it come naturally? Um, um,
1: I think you would probably be better to ask the people that had to manage me and look after <laughs> me when I made that transition. Because I I watch people coming in and uh, uh, and they come in because we value their science. But at Sangam we spend a lot of time understanding them as people before we employ them, that we, the, the people that will get on in our company have to be great scientists, they're kind of entry level, but they have to be good people and, and f- believe in our values and believe in the way we lead. Now,- 25 years ago when I came in, I was sure I was um, this eager beaver, probably slightly, probably arrogant, um, a guy who thought he knew everything, dropped into a world where he knew nothing. And uh, that transition, as you see, is a very important one, particularly for physicians, um, because the the bit where you stop touching patients and and that that wonderfully intimate relationship you have with with a patient in front of you, is an important one to give up in that transition, and occasionally, I don't know, maybe one in 20, they go back. And they usually go back within six months because they've decided it's not for them. Mm-hmm. But in all the physicians and scientists that I've hired, the vast majority find that there's more in this world that they can do. Now, it's also true that when you hire someone that is the world expert in ubiquitin, the six months in, the company looks on them as a company person and they go outside to look for the world expert in ubiquitous. So there's, there's, there's a, a moment where you no longer have the cachet that you had outside and you're one of us. Mm-hmm. That's true within the company, but it's also true to the KOLs outside that we will work with, that they forget that this person who's representing the company once was a colleague, and once was a peer, and once was someone that they respected. So that relationship, I think, is one that one needs to work through carefully in the transition into industry. Yeah, um, but teamwork's everything. And the bits that I liked about joining a company was that teamwork, common purpose, and the idea that you can just join a team and know how to work in a team and what good teamwork looks like is 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 foolish because. You have to learn that. And it's been fascinating coming with my set of kind of core beliefs to Sangamon, where there were people there. And when I joined Sangamon, I was only 20 years old. And there's people there that had never been had discussions about leadership and working in teams and how they can make the most of themselves and of others. And and they're super clever scientists that have never learned to leverage that and make the most of the people around them. And it's been very pleasing to bring that um, belief system into into Sango and watch people that you know twenty years into Sango that suddenly are are having conversations about dif- you know having difficult conversations. How do you make the most of someone's career? You know and and. And realizing that there's more to them than just their simple science mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, and that's it, a it's a nice transition. You mentioned that you've been at Sangamo well, since a since a young age. You've been CEO for sixteen years now. Oh no 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 no! no. I've been at Sangamo since 2016. Since 2016, okay, okay. Uh, Still from 2016, you've you've been CEO since 2016. Yeah, yeah. I I
1: joined. I joined us because what did they need at Sangamo? They needed someone that had hardcore molecular biology. So my wife was wrong in that hardcore molecular (laughs) biology. Was you? I mean, to be a, a, a CEO at Sangamo, it is very useful to be able to understand the real hardcore molecular biology yeah. and, and when i look back at what i did at my phd we dreamt of doing things with dna we we were just at that point where the genome was about to be sequenced and sydney used to say you know it's not about sequencing it it's about then doing some it's not a tax return that you're just trying to record all the letters it's um that the the point of doing this is that eventually we'll be able to manipulate the genome and make people better because of it. And you know his prophetic words are now what I found when I came to Sango. So he needed someone with hardcore molecular biology. They needed someone that knew drug development from malaria to erectile dysfunction because we go into so many different areas. Yeah, and they needed someone that was and the Scottish word is thrown. I'd spell that for me. T h r a w n throne. Throne. It's it means uh, uh, resilient, stubborn, determined. Mm-hmm. Because Singul uh, was an an excellent academic institution. They had published some of the most fundamental papers in gene editing. There was a recent review that showed uh, you know the top twenty five. Uh, papers of of the past twenty five years, and Sangamo was like three of them. It it had done more than most academic labs had done, and what they were lacking was that moment where you take the signs and you apply it to important problems, and trans, translate it into clinical medicines. And that's what I think I and the leadership team have brought on at Sangamo have done. They have converted that scientific excellence into. Uh, A company that makes medicines. Uh, We don't want to ever lose that scientific curiosity and responsibility for staying at the cutting edge of genomic um, molecular biology. But there's no point in doing that if it doesn't make something. Mm -hmm. And so. uh, having done RD jobs for all my life, I suddenly found myself as a general manager. And that was, you know, at the age I was when I took this on, to suddenly have a new life and a, and a whole set of new things to learn was wonderful. So I had to worry about um, our cybersecurity. I had to worry about the air conditioning. Mm-hmm. I, had, I had to think about creating a shelf to raise some money and all kinds of things that I had never thought about before, became possible. And nobody talks about it as the as CEO does that. And they don't do it themselves. But I'm responsible for finding people that can do that and that I can trust because we were 109 people, I think, when I started and we're now about 500 people. And now I have real experts that do all these things. Yeah. But at the start, a lot of it was rolling your sleeves up and, and making it happen.
0: What did you find most challenging during that time? I mean, personally, like what what didn't come naturally to you? Uh, finance is is something
1: that um, uh, we're we're a public company, and so there are extremely clear rules in what gets done. Yeah, and I find that the thing that helps me sleep because I know that I've got a great CFO, position who. Um, um has built a team under her and I know I have auditors come in from Ernst and Young and I know that that we do a very professional finance job. And that's the bit that you have to trust people. Because I can't I can ask difficult questions, but I'm not going to be an expert in tax policy or or how you report a certain mm-hmm. piece of data. And for someone that had always been I'd always been kind of known what was going on to to let go of that and be someone who uh, led and um, recruited and nourished an expert who knew everything about what was going on. That was a really interesting moment as as a leader, yeah. where you where you suddenly are in charge of something that you're not an expert in and you've never done. Whereas for my clinical team, I think they would they would argue that I'm. Too interested in what they do because it's there's there's that temptation to do your old job.
0: Sure, yeah, and yeah, which is yeah. You know, from a CEO, CEO's perspective, I'm sure at times that at times that's beneficial, and at times it probably drives your clinical team crazy. Yes, <laughs> so at times it is beneficial, and I love you
1: know I, I wander around Sangam at times, and I look into um, meeting rooms, and I can see people on whiteboards, and they're having interesting discussions about potential phase three planning and i'm thinking please let me come in <laughs> i'd i'd love to take part in this conversation yeah and and i know that i can't because i know that if i go into the room it changes the dynamic right and it's not my responsibility mm-hmm. it's their responsibility and then they'll come to me when they're ready but it's 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 such a delight to uh, at the stage of my career that was to get a chance to do new things and to do things like this mm-hmm. but you know um We're at JP Morgan, and as you say, we will hold nonstop conversations throughout the day. And one of the things that you always get asked when you're interviewed for a job, like a CEO job, is how do you think you'll be with investors? And Mm -hmm. how do you think you'll be with analysts and in these conversations? And it's having hired a number of people into roles where that would be part of their job. I've, I've realized it's more difficult than, I I now know why people ask that question. Hmm. Because there are some people that are good at it and some people that are not. Yeah.
0: What what does it take to be good at it?
1: Um, I think you need to give us, I I think you need to know your, know your stuff. You need to know your data. You need to be disciplined that you know what you can say and what you can't say. And you need to care. And and be able to talk, and and so I think it is, it's it's not an an intuitive, it's not an obvious thing for people to do. Now, my head of communications, Louise, will take people off and train them, and you can move people closer and closer to what they need to do. But it's not; it is a skill set that is part of being a CEO. So, as well as doing. The air conditioning and caring about that. Mm-hmm. You also have to spend a lot of time that the company never sees, sitting in hotel rooms with um, every thirty minutes, yeah. another set of analysts with sitting behind their iPads and knowing everything about the company and trying to get you, uh, an answer out of you that nobody else has. Mm-hmm. And you have to understand that that's the job. Right. Every every job has things that are. You just have to do it because that's the job, yeah, and, and so that's what doing this is and they're they're doing their job, and there's some really smart analysts and investors at this conference, really smart, and they cover ten twenty companies, and they know a lot about them, and their job is important, and we are trying to be very respectful to them and un- and understand that we'd love to tell them what I mean I'd love to take them and sit them down in in point richmond get them to meet the scientists and see the excitement of them and hear our, our dreams of where we think the company can go but that's not allowed mm-hmm. and so we have to be very disciplined about what we can tell them
0: yeah yeah we'll get to that in a minute because i'm, I'm interested sangamo has got to be a very interesting company for the analyst community to follow because of your broad mm-hmm. and, and very aggressive pipeline and i've got some questions for you around that in just a minute but you know you're seven seven years in, going on seven years, maybe six six. six? Okay, six and a half. It's a, it's a it's a it's a pretty long pretty long run in the in this industry. Actually, six years. I mean, a lot of the CEOs that I've interviewed as recently as you know two three months ago for this podcast, uh, I I could make a full time job out of kind of keeping track of of where they go. There's a lot of shifting and turnover. What what's kept you there for for the past six years?
1: I love the company. Yeah it's it's as simple as that it's uh it's unique it's high science it's purpose it's um results that matter it's it's working it's it's doing great things in the in the clinic and I can't imagine someone coming in for me any other position that would take me away from it
0: yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that your, you know, your, your past experiences, you said it a couple of times, has given you experience from <clears throat> everything from um, malaria to, to ED as an example. And if you look across the breadth of Sangamo's pipeline, uh, you know, I think I counted 14 stated preclinical programs from IBS to oncology to MS, renal transplant. I mean, it's, it's, it's all across the board. Um this is this is unique. I mean, it's 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 unique in the space. Tell me about it. Why? Like, is that a is that sort of a stamp of of Sandy McRae? Like, we take you know take take broad swath opportunities. Uh, did that kind of start with you? What's what's the backstory on that broad and aggressive preclinical pipeline?
1: It's an interesting question, and it clearly has to be something to do with my comfort zone. Of, hmm. of doing more than one thing. Um, most companies don't have to make choices. Most companies have a single asset that's in clinical development. They have one or two things that they say are in IND enabling studies that you never see, and a list of things that they'd like to do. So most companies don't actually prioritise. They have one thing that they make the most of Mm -hmm. and they'll, and they'll take it to registration or they'll sell it or they'll be bought because of that one thing. It's very rare for a company, um, our size to have choices to make. And for all the things that you've said that we're doing, there are many more that we could do that we have decided not to do. And, and, um, that's why we partner so often because our technology means that we can manipulate a lot of DNA uh, and and can have effects on a lot of genes and we can't carry them all forward as single. It's just not possible. I mean, the cost of a phase three trial is prohibitive for, for us to do it. And therefore, um, I feel it's my scientifically ethical responsibility to to get our technology into the hands of as many people as possible. In my time at Sangamu we've raised about $800 million in upfronts. There's $7 billion in biobucks now. Many of those won't ever get, the biobucks won't come. But it's not really about the money. It's about putting it into the hands of someone that knows the subject better than we do, mm-hmm. that has the scientists and the clinicians and even the commercial people that will make the most of it. So we did a partnership with Biogen and they will <coughs> take our tau repression forward. Because if we'd done it, it would the company would have had to focus and just do one study on tau. That would all we could have done. Whereas we can give it to Biogen, a company that knows a lot about Alzheimer's. And um, Keep talking to them, keep partnering, because we've now we've we've handed over several new projects with them, and I look forward to talking with Chris um, uh, later this week about our our partnership. But it allows the medicine to get to patients quicker Mm -hmm. than it would if we did it. Yeah. So every time we look at we do a portfolio review, which we do often, Um, we look at where the medicine, what the asset. I'm 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 going to use the word asset because it's until it gets into the patient, it really is an asset. So, mm-hmm. the asset is how much uh, value it has now, how much it's going to cost to get it to the next stage, what the value would be of it then, and um, what's the risk of it working or not? Percentage chance. And there's some things where it like the Fabry project. We looked at it. We reckon we can do the phase one two study. It's going to cost, we can afford to do it. It's got a reasonable chance of success. And therefore, Signable will take that forward and and um, take the medicine forward and get clinical proof of concept. And the results look beautiful. It's really making a difference to Fabry patients. Alzheimer's would have cost a lot more. The chance of success is less. It needs experts to take it forward. And therefore, the right thing for that one is to partner it with someone like Pygen. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a decision we make regularly, ruthlessly on whether we're the right people to do it or whether it's better to find someone else to do it. And if we're the right people to do it, we then have to make sure we have the right people in house to do it. Yeah. Because, um, when you're doing what Sangmo originally had was generalists and everything. And, as we now try and focus down to what we 're doing and and our our transition now is into our t platform and our c n s platform, and so we can now f um, be more choiceful of the people we hire. So we're getting immunologists, we're getting new neurologists, we're getting uh, neuroscientists, rather than the old days where we had people that were good scientists or general physicians doing it. So we, we, we are specializing the company. It just doesn't happen overnight. It's, it's an evolution that happens.
0: When you're striving to excel in a new arena, the best guides are the ones already doing it well. The business of biotech brings those voices forward to help new and emerging biopharmas turn their innovations, like mRNA and cell and gene therapies, into clinical realities. Tune in and subscribe for insights on hiring, regulatory, and other need-to-know topics for biopharma leaders. The podcast is brought to you in collaboration with Cytiva. Check out their resources at citiva.com backslash emerging biotech. That's C-Y-T-I-V-A dot com backslash Emerging Biotech. Uh, would you say that, I mean, you mentioned the, the growth 100-ish mm. when you started, uh, 500-ish now, um, to support that? Broad preclinical pipeline and, and the four candidates that you have in clinic now. Uh, wh- what does sort of the HR infrastructure look like under your watch to su- to support all that? Like, w- would you say you're heavy on the you know preclinical R and D side? I mean, so I, I, uh, my chief
1: people officer, uh, a woman called Whitney, is is wonderful and uh, is one of my most important hires and is probably the person I spend the most time with and she uh, guides me and cajoles me and and keeps makes sure that we talk about people a lot of the time mm-hmm. going from a hundred to five hundreds fascinating when it was a hundred and they were all in point Richmond uh, drug development was done in the corridor so everyone knew what was going on and when there was a meeting to decide you know what, what happened with the project they all got into a room and they all talked about it and they it, it was one entity. Yeah. When we become 5,000 people or 50,000 people, it's broken down into little villages mm-hmm. and, and with a, 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 an infrastructure or, or a way of working that allows for devolved decision-making. And so going from 100 to 500 is when you start to have to put that in place. You need some kind of constitution you need to have decision making not all done by the CEO and not all done in the corridor. So it's been it's been a, a fascinating journey because there were some of that those hundred people who felt they did want to work in a startup in a garage and they didn't want to have to go to the research development committee. And the right thing for them to do was to move off and go into small companies. And then there's been specialization. So HR was done by, when I joined, it was one and a half people. And Whitney now has, I think it's about 10 people or eight or 10 people. And she's got someone that does comp and benefits and she's got someone that does recruiting. So there then becomes specialization. Mm -hmm. And there's some people that don't want that specialization. They want to do everything in their area. And so they go off and go and do something else. And we bring in specialists. So gradually you evolve the company so as you have the appropriate special. We have a cybersecurity expert. We never had one. We had someone that ran IT. Yeah. And so you gradually have to bring in that specialization. And that journey doesn't happen overnight. And if it does, you lose your, you lose your good people because some of that hundred people could have been brought on the journey, so we still have we have i don't know there's about seven or eight people that are over twenty years at sangamo hmm. and um I have enormous respect for them and they've given their career their life to sangamo and so we have to respect their traditions and you know the quirky things that sangamo did that they did are still things that we do now while at the same time. We've probably brought in the other 400 people have come from Biogen Genentech and have come with their view of what a company should look like. And it's trying to find a blend of the two so it's respectful of Sangamo and what it's done and what it's achieved while embracing the professionalism and the leadership training that, other com- that comes from other companies. Right. And trying to weave that in while at the same time coping with the Bay Area turnover problem, mm-hmm. where it's 15, 20% turnover at times in certain roles. Yeah, And so culture and having a clear identity of who we are becomes very important. Yeah,
0: cool. Um, so one of the things I wanted to ask you about, you know, you can kind of tie this into culture and, and identity, is the, the recent decision to open an AAV manufacturing facility. So um, you built this facility a few years back, and I, I, I'd just like to kind of get your perspective on, you know, that approach and, and, why, that, and why take that investment on.
1: So we have two manufacturing facilities. We have um, AAV and... Um, cell therapy in Brisbane, California and we have cell therapy in Valbon, France mm-hmm. and there are facilities that, could do, that can do clinical supplies they could do a small phase 3 they would be very unlikely to ever do commercial product the reason that we felt it was important to do it is particularly in cell therapy the process is the product so the way you so the editing's easy the editing is very standard and is engineering and we really understand it well but when you edit a set of cells how you how you harvest the cells how you store them how you grow them how you expand them are what will be the most important for the success. And that's something we learned with Sickle, where we changed the process and then got such significantly better results. And so having the research scientists cheat by gel with the process development people, with the people that are going to manufacture it, Means that you have that interaction and conversation early mm-hmm. rather than when I joined Sangaabo there was we we worked with Brammer, which was on the east Coast, and we had great re- relationships with them, but you had to slip all the way to boston to to have that conversation and and you depended on that written communication of what you were doing rather than talking about it over lunch right so we feel it 's an important investment to have manufacturing or at least early manufacturing in your control.
0: Can you point to any specific things that 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 capability has enabled for Sangamo that perhaps, I mean, aside from the the working relationships and and having it all under one roof, like, you know, just from a a business development or growth perspective, what's it enabled that perhaps might not have been enabled had you worked with an outsourcer?
1: We're in charge of the sequencing of the projects. And so we can prioritize what we need to get done when, Mm -hmm. rather than lifetime the, the you know this the uh, contract manufacturing industry um, is not yet scaled up for the number of gene therapy and genomic medicine companies there are yeah the commonest call I'll get from a headhunter is do you know anyone that can do manufacturing because they're looking for someone there's a shortage of them they, they're just we the industry has grown quicker than the training of people to do this. Mm-hmm. And therefore, there was times when we were being offered six, 12-month lead time to starting the manufacturing. And that makes um, planning and nimbleness impossible because it just – you're, you're waiting in the queues for, for yeah. that. And so that's why I think owning it. But I I, I, I know it sounds like uh, we're better in the office type comment, but it is better when the scientists and the manufacturing people are close together. The, the relationship is much better that
0: way. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I just imagine, I mean, I, I asked the question kind of uh, cu- curious about what uh, what those decisions mean from an investor standpoint, you know, from a… From exp-
1: manufacturing is expensive. To yeah. own your own manufacturing is, is an expensive capital investment. And um, it takes a lot of people to run a plant. And so it is a deliberate decision that we've made. Now, there's been a number of um, times, there have been a number of situations recently where um, companies have had too much manufacturing and they've kind of leased it to uh, other other companies, kind of give uh, allowed people to lease their space and their equipment as a way to monetize mm-hmm. something <laughs> to be overinvested in. Sure. I don't think we're there. Um, but it is an asset that, if ever we needed to, we could we could use. Because I'm very. Proud of the the quality of our, our manufacturing team.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I read about it all the time. You know, when a company decides they don't want to you know maintain that investment anymore, it usually gets snatched up within hours by a mm. by a CRO or a CDMO. So, um, what you mentioned the shortage uh, in 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 skill is is it a shortage in, in skill? Is it a shortage in in square footage and capacity and and resources? Is it all of the above? Like, what is the the biggest problem in terms of that outsourcing? Uh, challenge in your space? I think it's skill
1: and uh, experience of doing it because we haven't been doing cell therapy for that long. Yeah. Is it, is it five years, ten years, something like that? Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of the people that are now in the manufacturing space are repurposed monoclonal or um, um, vaccine people. Yeah. And... They talk about how when they, when monoclonals started, you, you would measure 20, 30 different quality attributes. And now with monoclonals, it's a smaller list because they know exactly what are the important things to to measure to know that your monoclonal is, is just what it should be. And they say it's what it feels like now with cell therapy. We're measuring many, many things. And it's only with time and experience in the clinic that will know and that was the one that's I really need to pay attention to Mm -hmm. so I think I think it's a a learning exercise the question I often get asked is is the FDA now being much more strict and less supportive of cell therapy Mm -hmm. and I always say no and I think the FDA is doing a fantastic job I think they, too, have had to ramp up rapidly in the people. If you can imagine the number of INDs they're seeing now, as opposed to five years in cell therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think what we're witnessing is what were great ideas on paper. Now... Going through the pre-IND studies and all the practicalities of making a drug, which, you know, is making, it, it's much more complicated than anyone understands. And so the agency are rightly demanding high standards from that. And what we're seeing is all the companies that, that were promising great things, just going through the blocking and tackling of making an IND. And I think that's one of the advantages of science, science most experience. I've got people in preclinical that have been doing this for years mm-hmm. and have done many cell and gene therapy INDs and therefore they understand what needs to be done. And whereas Company spun out of a university. I've got to learn that and got to acquire those skills. Right.
0: Yeah. I want to. I want to take a step back and kind of zoom out and, and ask you a question about your worldview because I. I read. Uh, I read uh, not not too long ago where you alluded to a potential future where there are three primary modes of medicine: vaccines for prevention, small molecules for treatment, and genomic medicine for eradication. So, um, that's a sound bite that I'd like you to. Uh, <laughs> I'd like you to expand on. Uh, be careful with your sound bites. But, <laughs> okay. but I, I, I do... I well, do cl- this is your chance to clarify. <laughs>
1: you know, I do believe it. So what do I mean by that? I think... Let me unpack it in a way that makes it, uh, makes that conversation rather than me defending a soundbite. Mm-hmm. I think there will always be acute diseases, uh, pain and infection, where small molecules are the right way to treat them. And that we shouldn't pretend that you can vaccinate away um, um, a throat infection, or, or that you can. Um, if 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 I hit my hand my thumb with a hammer, that the the best way is just a simple pain treatment. Mm-hmm. So we need to make sure that there are those treatments that are appropriate. In addition, there are many diseases that are simply treated at the moment with cheap, effective drugs, hypertension, type 2 diabetes. A lot of it is treated with simple medicines. And if if some new modality came in to replace them, it would have to be that cheap and that effective. And that's a high bar um, to do there was an article once. You've got to be as good as the Beatles, kind of thing. Mm. You know, the 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 um, the metformin works for type two diabetes, and therefore any new gene therapy that comes in is got to be able to compete with metformin in its efficacy, right? And also in its accessibility due to its price point. Yeah, vaccines. I think we've seen through COVID are an essential part of. Of the human condition now, um, it's remarkable what the vaccine companies did. We looked to see if there was anything we could do, and we felt our best thing we could do was get out of the way of the traffic. And so we, if at, at bio, we had these discussions about are there, you know, facilities that could be shared or expertise could be shared, but it, it felt that there was there was. The right people doing the right thing about vaccines. And when you start to take out COVID or flu or shingles, it's there's a number of diseases that are now well looked after by vaccines. Mm-hmm. And then the third modality, I believe, is um, correcting the mutation that causes the disease. Now, it's very easy at the moment when everyone focuses on monogenic diseases with, with striking consequences. So sickle cell disease, for example. Um, it's obvious that, that a genomic solution for that would be a good idea. I'm less convinced when people go to things. So the PCSK9 one is an interesting one. We looked at it because we've, we've shown before I came to Sango, we could, we could, uh, Knock out PCSQ9 and and have an effect that was um, uh, controlled your lipids. Mm -hmm. And there are a few people with hereditary disease that is not controlled by anything else for whom that might be a solution. But the, the trouble is that that then gets conflated to look at all the people that are taking statins and, and people imagine that that's what the purpose of it is. It can't be that. Because either through taking simple statins or through um, um, oral PS, PCSK9 inhibitors, which cost 10000 to $15,000 a year, we've got that yeah. until or unless something comes along like metformin, that is more effective and is at a similar price point to allow accessibility of the medicine. Mm-hmm. So I think I think those buckets are true. Yeah, it's not three equal buckets at the moment. The bucket for genomic medicines is small, right? And that's right because we need to start at with diseases that are high benefit risk equation. So the benefit to the patient is enormous. And any risk, because we've only dosed a few thousand patients with genomic medicines, is, is overwhelmed by the benefit the patient's going to get. And we'll start with those diseases and gradually move out to cover more diseases. So we'll go from monogenic, monogenic significant diseases to monogenic, less life-threatening diseases. Then polygenic diseases—that's going to be more difficult. But there may be genes that are particularly powerful in a polygenic disease that we just don't know. To does, one can imagine a future where you then where the gene isn't responsible for the disease, but a new, but a genetic solution could help the disease. Mm-hmm. And and but that's a long way off because we really need to understand the long term safety. And effectiveness of the current genomic medicines. Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. So, speaking of current genomic medicines, in the short time we have left, as we run short on time. Um, but by the way, I'm gonna I'm gonna ruin what Louise just did. As we recorded, someone knocked on the door, and Louise just in the in the in the quietest way I've ever seen. That was the longest door close I've ever seen. Congratulations to you. That was that was outstanding. Um, thank you. <laughs> uh, what so i i am going to wrap two questions i'm going to attempt to wrap two questions in, into one here i'd like a, a you know an update from you on on clinical progress as you'd like to share it uh, from Sangamo. and i'd like to know uh, maybe maybe wrap that into what you're doing here at, at JPM like what's your you know modus operandi th- this year at at this event and does it have to do with that like what are what are the people you're meeting with asking you about is it is it clinical updates and and where things stand kind of I know that's a sloppy way to ask the question, mm-hmm. but if you can wrap those two together,
1: uh, so we have four things in the clinic at the moment mm-hmm. with Pfizer. We're in phase three for hemophilia A, and Pfizer doing a great job. I, uh, you understand the the. Um, Machinery of Pfizer, and you see how well they've run that study and kept it going. And they will soon tell the world that they've finished recruiting the study, and then hopefully next year we'll get to see the results. And this is this is a medicine, and you know this is this is a medicine that started at Sangamo, really after I joined. It, the we did the deal soon after I joined with mm-hmm. Pfizer. We have a wholly owned Fabry project where we have those. We've said publicly, um, fourteen patients, and it looks great. Yeah, I've I've run so many studies. I'm not running this study. My clinical group is running <laughs> the study, but I've been part of, involved in so many studies, and this is beautiful. And what I mean by that is the endpoints, the alpha-gal, the enzymes and the, the substrate are doing exactly what we hoped they would. The patients are feeling better. The patients are coming off their ERT. People who've been on ERT for years are sweating again. And I know that sounds like a a, a small thing, but to the patient it's important because mm-hmm. it's miserable not to sweat and you can't exercise. It's not good in the heat. But it to me, it means it's getting into the tissues and that Augers well for the renal biopsy we'll talk about and the other, you know, the other effects on other organs. Mm-hmm. And that's going as well as a study I've ever run is going. And we look forward to driving that we or someone else, driving it in forward into phase three. Yep. And that's where we'll do that calculation mm-hmm. about should we do it or could someone else do it? And we bank the cash and take it and start something else. We have sickle, which is uh, a poster child for the process is the product because when we improve the process, we now have uh, we reported a patient five um, who uh, is the results are great. Their uh, fetal hemoglobins forty five percent. Their hemoglobins good. They're not having VOCs. This is this is a medicine, and it's for. a uh, very underserved community that uh, I would love to make a difference. But this goes back to my emerging markets and and all the other things I've done for about pharmaceutical medicine, biotechnology as a social responsibility yeah. for diseases that aren't sexy but are really important. They die 20 years younger than they should and that's a scandal and we should address it with medicines and make them available. And then we have the first ever Treg patients. So we've those two patients where we've put in a CAR T-reg in renal transplant and there's now 15 T-reg companies, nine CAR T-reg companies and we're the first and we're the first in clinic. Again it's Sangamo leading the charge and if CAR T-regs work what what it does is it, it takes you into type one diabetes, multiple sclerosis, inflammatory bowel disease. T could have an important role in inflammation across a whole on autoimmunity. And that's exciting. That's Sangamo, We we go into areas that are important and that we can make a difference. Mm-hmm. But to come to a second part of the conversation, what do people ask you about? So the I watch with envy the latest CRISPR company, I think there's 27 CRISPR companies, Mm -hmm. and they post something about, we've got this new technology, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, whatever, and everyone gets excited. And that's fine until they go into the clinic. And the moment they go into the clinic, all people care about is, does it work and is it better than metformin or better than the current treatment? So when you're a clinical stage company... I would say 80% of the conversations we have, or at least the conversations we have with 80% of people are about the three clinical projects that have results out in the public. That's all they want to talk about. That's how they value the company. That's how they bet on the company. Yeah. But we're blessed to have some really interesting analysts that want to talk about the science. And the thing that they most often focus on at the moment is the T-Rex. They're very intrigued by this and where it is and what our evidence it's going to be. And then there are some wonderful analysts that have followed Simon for a long time that really love the science and love the to talk about zinc fingers. And so It's more varied than you would imagine. It's not just a shtick that we do time and time again. Yeah. But we make it, we take care to match what they want to talk about. We're happy to
0: to talk about it. Excellent. Well, like I said, we're short on time. Uh, I I guess I'll be respectful of a guy who was just knocking on the door and let him come in and have have his time with you, Dr. McRae. But I'm uh, appreciative. Uh, I know time is valuable here in in San Francisco during JPM week, and I'm, I'm glad you gave me some of it. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. So that's Sangamo CEO, Dr. Sandy McRae. I'm Matt Piller, and this is the Business of Biotech, coming to you from the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference in San Francisco. The Business of Biotech is produced by Bioprocess Online in partnership with Cytiva, which demonstrates its support for new and emerging biopharma companies at citiva.com backslash emerging biotech. Check that out. Check us out at bioprocessonline.com backslash B-O-B. And if you like listening in on conversations like this one, subscribe to the pod. Leave us a review and some feedback. And as always, thanks for listening.